Today, Fraud Boxer welcomes a new sponsor, Darwinian. Darwinian brings their next generation fraud prevention platform that unifies security with fraud prevention to create complete visibility of customer journeys across every digital touchpoint, web, apps, and APIs. Darwinium's unique integration point running on the perimeter edge via CDN brings privacy preservation and low latency, giving a holistic view of customer behavior from pre-authentication through account creation, login, change of details, and even payments. This means businesses are better equipped to separate human and automated traffic while protecting customers from account takeover, identity scams and social engineering behaviors, blocking content and promo abuse, and of course, fraudulent payments. Please visit www.darwinium.com to learn more today. Direct links will be in the bio of this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. I got a heavy hitter here today. I got Julie Conroy from Dados Insights. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing pretty good. You and I met about eight years ago, I think it is now. We were on a panel together back in New Orleans at one of the smaller MRCs. Had a lot of fun there. We had, like I think, Bryn on there that used to be at Spokio. Um, that was my first time in New Orleans. That was a, that was a fun city. New Orleans and the, the food. It's such a good food city. It's a good, different type of taste, and I was welcoming it because I've been so used to cheeseburgers and hot dogs all day. You know, it was nice to have some spice in my life, and it's changed me forever. Um, I did see you talk about um, faster payments more recently in May when I was up at the RSAC conference. They had a little side conference that was part of it called the EFG, and uh, it, it brought up a lot of, of of memories of that I wanted to talk about this. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. I think the the whole thing surrounding faster payments, we've been hearing that faster payments is coming for so long and we've seen some of it and we'll get into that. And I'm really excited to have you on here because you did an excellent panel there about faster payments. So yeah, you wanna talk a little bit about that one? <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's a topic my team and I have been spending a ton of time with, as you might imagine. Um, you know, we, we said it on the panel and, and it's cliche, but faster payments does truly equate to faster fraud. And, and the fraudsters have been following the faster, faster payment rails across the globe. Um, we now have going on 60 faster payment rails across the globe. And the fraudsters, oh, wow. you know, they, they, they worked out a very effective set of attack vectors in the UK. And it's been rinse and repeat ever since. So we'll get into that in a moment because that's already getting the wheels turned into my head. But before we dive into there, I think a lot of people that are going to be listening to this probably already do know you. A lot of us in this industry do know you. We read all the stuff that you put out. Uh, but if you could just take us a little bit about through who you are, where you came from, and how you got to be in the wonderful world of payments and fraud, if you could. Yeah, so I am the head of Risk Insights for Datos Insights. We, up until June 21st, we were known as IT Navarica Group. So that's where Datos might not be a familiar household term yet for, for the folks on the line. Um, but yeah, you know, I've spent my entire career in, in payments and fraud. So you know, I started at a startup that was enabling ACH and wire payments for 
things like uh, Wingspan Bank, totally dating myself. For those of you, one of the very first online properties, you know, we were enabling online payments for, for folks like Ariba back then. And as you might imagine, you know, the, the fraudsters were, were having great fun with, yeah. with all of this brave new world of internet payments. Um, I went on to work at uh, one of the, the first pure play online credit card issuers. Um, and again, we saw, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> so much fraud in, in that yeah. environment. Um, and then from there, I went on to uh, lead the product management team at Early Warning Services. I, I had been talking to them as a potential vendor when I was at the online credit card firm um, and then you know, went over. And you know, Early Warning, I spent a number of years there. It's, it was fun managing a collaborative consortium-based data product set. And then from there, came over to, to Datos Insights, where I manage a, a brilliant team of a dozen people that look out for how the industry is responding to the emerging attack vectors, regulatory infrastructures, changing technology. Um, we all come out of industry, and now we bring that expertise to bear to, to help our clients. Excellent. Excellent history there. Thank you for that. Um, I've, I've obviously followed a lot of the stuff that you've done and you've done like a, compiled a lot of like documents about as these things change, like you said, you know, like updates on like chargeback things, updates on different regulations and things like that. That's been super useful for us in an industry to have these things and know about these things. I think a lot of, of the stuff, you know, we, we do these conferences, we, we get together in a room and we ask for these things and we ask for changes. And then when some of the companies implement those changes, they may or may not be exactly how we wanted them to be, but it's, it's nice to have resources that can kind of peel back the layers of, of what they did change and how that's going to affect us. And, you, and you've always been helpful with that. So let's talk faster payments. We're just going to dive right into it because there's a lot to cover here. So if you could, for me, describe what faster payments actually means. That way we can really break down the, the actual definition, please. So faster payments is generally speaking, it's an alternative payment rail versus you know, your, your batch payments, which go across ACH, versus your, your card payments, which go across the various payment network rails. And it is a payment rail that has been designed to deliver funds transfers immediately in a non-refutable manner. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, the purpose of this is to create additional utility for consumers, for businesses, by facilitating faster movement of payments. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I said in the open, you know, we're now up to going on 60 countries that have faster payments rails. Uh, here in the US, we always have to do things a little differently. So we've got RTP active, we've got FedNow, which is an entirely different payment rail, which will come active over the summer. And then we've got Zelle, which is probably the, the most mm -hmm. known household word around faster, faster payments in the US market. You know, what most people don't know is that Zelle oftentimes actually settles via ACH in batch. Yeah. They but just the push it, like they push it out faster, but there's still stuff happening in the background. And I was going to say, like, I think like most people would think of faster payments, like on more of the, the, the P2P side of it as the Zelle processor. Now, I want to talk about when this conversation that you and I are going to have today, we will talk about, of course, the P P2P side of it, but also the... Um, how this can affect businesses too, right? Like this is going to change how settlements are done from from a, a B to C standpoint too, if I'm not mistaken, right? 
there's a ton of B2C utility in faster payments. There's also small business utility. Um, you know, think about B2C, you know, your, your gig workers getting paid in real time immediately, not having to wait for, you know, a payroll cycle or, yeah. um, you know, you're from a consumer perspective, you know, getting insurance claims via faster payments as opposed to having nice. to wait for months for that check. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say, I want to point out like, like, like Venmo and PayPal are not faster payments. Those are just regular, they use ACH essentially, don't they, in the back end behind there for the most part? It, they, they typically will similarly use those, those ACH rails. But again, with Venmo, your consumer experience feels like faster payment. And, and where it has the, the commonality is, you know, typically just like other faster payment rails, you don't have the power of repudiation. Interesting. So I've, if I'm not mistaken, like to have a faster payment, like you just, I'm just going through all these things that I've even like the research that I've done about it is you have to what's called, have what's called a DDA. So a direct deposit account. So that has to be exist on either end in order for a faster payments situation to happen. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. That's absolutely correct. Excellent. So that's so Venmo and PayPal, since they don't have a DDA, they don't they don't count as that. But Zelle's, which typically most people on the consumer side of Zelle have that in their actual bank account, bank account, which you can receive your direct deposits in your bank account. So that's how you get that. Yeah. Um, and, and as you look at you know some of the markets that have had the greatest success with faster payments, you know, India and Brazil are actually at top of the list from adoption and volume perspective. Those are also markets where there's been a concerted focus on getting a universally banked population, which creates the, the, the necessary ubiquity. Interesting. So let's talk about that because that my mind just instantly went that way. So universally banked population. What does that mean? So the, does that mean the government is trying to make sure that every citizen has their own bank account? Yes. And India That's started and Brazil kind of took their roadmap and has emulated it. You know, Brazil is a super interesting story that uh, we, we delved into in our recent research on this, where they launched their faster payments rail called PIX in November of 2020. Within a year, PIX transactions had eclipsed payment card transactions from a volume perspective. That's amazing. I love PIX because I don't have liability when, when people use PIX payments on my site. So I love PIX. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the ways that the, the Brazilian government encouraged rapid consumer adoption was November 2020. We were still in the midst of the pandemic. And Brazil started sending their stimulus payments via PIX rails. So all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be on PIX. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, actually, right there. And I think it was like, one of those, those opportunities, too, where like the, the, the central bank of like of Brazil, like they all got together and said, like, you have to do this. We're doing this. Everybody's working together. We're making this one thing be the one thing. And I think like people like think that Zell tried to do that, but Zell's like kind of like a weird thing in between. Like, but it's still its own company, right? It's a it's a third party company that the banks just opted to decided they're going to use, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and Zell is owned by Early Warning, which is That's owned right. by seven of the largest banks in the U.S. market, but, but it's still, you know, in Brazil, you've got a consolidated banking market. You've got a very strong central bank regulator that did mandate it. You know, they said that if you are a financial institution that has more than 500,000 accounts on your books, you have to enable PICs for your customer base. And, yeah. you know, by contrast, here in the U.S., we have a highly decentralized regulatory infrastructure and we've got upwards of 9,000 financial institutions. So that's, it's. That's a lot. And it would have yeah. to be a full mandate. And then we all know what happened when the EMV mandate 
happened, you know, and it's kind of people still kind of kick the can down the road a little bit there. <laughs> so I want to kind of back up a little bit because I think that the picks thing is, is super interesting and, and I love it. And it, it was on my list of notes that I did want to bring up. So I'm happy that you brought that up. But let's talk about fundamentally how these things work. So you said earlier that there's uh, about 60 different sets of rails. So when we talk about sets of rails, we talk about an underlying infrastructure that actually facilitates, like the money actually travels along, correct? Correct, correct. So is when faster payments is being created, like a, a system, a set of rails is being created, is there a a governing like um, body of some kind that says, this is what it has to do, or is it all based on time alone on that? And anybody in the middle, they could build that any way they, they, that they want to. No, it's it, there's governing infrastructure, um, you know. So it's it's the technology infra infrastructure perspective. You also have the governance perspective. Both of those are super important as you're launching things like this, you know. And you know, FedNow they they've built the technology, they've established governance. Um, you know, the RTP rails in the U.S. are are run by the clearinghouse. Um, and again, you know, they they spent years building out the technology infrastructure that banks connect to, as well as establishing governance rules. So in the U.S., there are three major sets of rails, right? There's the FedNow rails, the RTP, and then the Zelle set. Is that is that right or am I well, wrong? Well, you can't quite call Zelle its own set of rails. You know, it, it appears that way from a consumer perspective, but from a, a back-end settlement perspective, Zelle settlement either rides the RTP rails in an increasing number of cases, or it's settled via ACH. So they're just like, basically, like I settled earlier, they're kind of fronting the money into my account while they hope everything clears on the back end. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Um, so do you think now with FedNow, let's, 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 let's go right into FedNow, because that's the one that kind of started me down this path when I wanted to start making this episode was when they made the FedNow announcement. So FedNow sounds like it's government Fed, right? Is it, is this going to become mandated? RTP, the, it, it, like, what, what about them? How are they going to play? Is there, is there going to be, is this going to be like Highlander at the end of the day where there can only be one in the U.S.? Or is there, are, is there a world where several, several sets of these rails do exist in the U.S.? I, I foresee that we will have multiple sets of rails or at least two sets of primary rails in the U.S. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're the only country on the planet that has the degree of fragmentation in its financial services market as we do. You know, the, the genesis was the clearinghouse is owned, again, by many of the biggest banks in the country. And there was some agitation from smaller financial institutions that, you know, they, it was too expensive for them. They were getting left out. They were getting left behind. It was, it was unfair competitively. And, you know, that was part of the genesis of the Federal Reserve Bank. It is run by the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. you know, developing a separate set of rails. And as you look, and it's, it's publicly on their website, as you look at the 130 pilot participants that are currently in that FedNow pilot, um, a whole bunch of them are smaller financial institutions. There, there's, some, yeah. there's some bigger ones there, too. But, you know, this, this was intended i believe to kind of try to level the playing field for some of the little guys so is this going to at the end of the day is this going to be something that is going to like we're all just going to get opted into immediately 
or is it going to do we have to go into our bank and say if, if they're a participating bank on the fed now that we have to opt into and then everything coming into our account and leaving our account if it's available to go on those rails will go on those rails or will it just automatically start happening and stop moving over ach i think in the near term a lot of this is going to be transparent to your average consumer um, you know, as a consumer, you know, right now, RTP is mainly doing B2B. It, it's, it's, it's all commercial business. Um, and so as you are looking for things like, you know, getting your insurance payment deposited into your account in real time, it's not going to be talking about the rails. It's going to be talking about, hey, you're in luck. You get to get this in real time. Look at what a great insurance company we are that we're enabling this for you. So the mechanisms in the back, just like you know, most consumers, they, they know they get their payroll deposited via direct deposit. A lot of consumers don't know those ACH rules that you know, enable that to happen. So let me ask you a little bit here, just, just now that my head's thinking again, is I am a, a, a member of one of the banks, not a meta bank, a real bank, that um, gets my direct deposit via that way but i get it a couple of days early does that have anything to do with rtp rails in any way shape or form it's just it's it's, it's a product it to me? it's a product offering where they are looking to be competitive and give you you know that early access and yeah. they are bearing the risk associated with that so it, it's essentially providing credit to you for, they just see, like, like, for years i get the same amount deposited and they're like here you go you can have it a couple of days because when i did switch jobs it did take a couple of weeks before a couple of paychecks before i started getting it again which i didn't really care but i just thought it was like super interesting that they did that but i will say that when is i i send a large chunk of my paycheck to my savings account um, at the same bank and that one doesn't get deposited no matter what until the exact day it's supposed to. I don't get any early payments when it goes to the savings, you know. Oh, yeah. Because they'd, they'd be paying you interest. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured, you know, especially because like it's like a 4.1% interest right now on that on that savings account. And they don't want that, you know, they can't have any of that. <clears throat> so let's let's talk about FedNow. So where did FedNow come from? Did we know they were making this? Did they just kind of like surprise us with this thing? Like what happened with FedNow? Oh, no, it has been in the works for years. And it's, it's a topic that uh, my team and, and my colleagues on our commercial banking team have, have been following for years. And, you know, it started in typical government bureaucracy ways. There was a, you know, a, a request for comments that was issued by the Federal Reserve Bank. And then you've got a period of response. And then you've got meetings where people come together and talk about it. And, you know, so this, this has been in the works. I, I, I can't even remember how long, but it's, it has been many years that this has been coming. And did they, did they build it themselves themselves? Is this running on government servers, all that fun stuff? They didn't farm this out to Google or Amazon or anything like that to have, like, they didn't buy a payments company. They didn't like do anything like that. They really built this themselves this, after all this. this. This is owned and operated by the Federal Reserve Bank. That's Really impressive. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty impressive. For, <laughs> never would have thought. Um, and I think the Fed now, when they when they made the the responses, like or when they or when they made the announcements, they they made a big deal about to focus on fraud. And that's a lot of my listeners obviously were worried about fraud. Think about fraud. So let's talk about fraud on faster payments specifically, because where there's like you said at the very beginning, where there's faster payments, there's faster fraud. And I think Fed now they kind of talked about that they're having fraud protections and there was going to be certain guarantees, but they didn't really 
talk about what they were doing. To me, it kind of sounded more like velocity limits or looking at where origins come from, where it's going, where payments are. Like it, it seemed more like pretty basic stuff around it. So what are your thoughts? What are your opinions on all, all the fraud piece of this? So um, I, I think you know, there, there will out of the gate be some velocity controls at the network level. But you know, aside from that, you know, primarily the fraud controls are being delegated to the participating banks. And so just like participating banks need to make sure that they've got you know, good controls in place to, to protect themselves from RTP fraud, um, which, which I was actually on a call with one of my bank clients just a few hours ago who was talking about some of the pain that they have been experiencing with RTP rails. Um, you know, it, it is, it's going to be a mostly, at least out of the gates, it's going to be a delegated approach. Are we able to, as like, let's say that my company wanted to use fast payments in some way, are we able to put any sort of fraud rules in or fraud tools in that flow at all? Like, let's say I was, I was an issuing bank and I, and I, can I add my own fraud rules in, or does it come prepackaged? What RTP gives me is what I what I get at the end of the day. No, as, as issuing banks, they have a lot of their own fraud control framework specifically designed around RTP. And actually, in, in the study that we did, just we published it three months ago, you know, one of the questions we asked all of the, the participating banks was, you know, do you expect to be making significant investments in your faster payments control framework over the next one to two years? And the vast majority <laughs> said, yes, absolutely. It's a key point of investment for us because, again, you know, RTP didn't launch that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, the, the fraudsters have definitely found that one as well. Does, does RTP stand for real-time payments? Is that, is it does. What it means? Wow, <laughs> which which is look. a little confusing Clever. when you start talking about this on the global level because RTP is a brand name in the U.S., but as you get outside the U.S., people also talk about RTP, but they just mean the faster payment rails in their country. So let's, okay, so let's kind of talk a little bit about some of those in just a moment, though. One of the things I did want to talk about, though, was um, on the, like what you just said about the banks that are, that they're they're going to make significant investments in, in the RTP system. Um, I... Is is there an upside for banks to do this outside of satisfaction of customers? Like, is what what would be the upside versus going over the, the legacy ACH? Because to a bank, it doesn't really necessarily matter if I get my payment a day or two quicker or three days quicker, does it? Like, what, what's so the upside for an issuer? So, from a bank's perspective, you know, why you engage in these things in the first place. Um, is it's, it's a competitive issue. So you don't want to be the bank that is sending payments lower than all of your competitors, because as you're trying to you know, keep your co corporate and small business clients happy, as you're trying to win new ones, you know, having the ability to connect to these rails, send payments on these rails, it's, it's, a, it's a major competitive issue. Got it. Um, you know, the, the, the bank I was talking to this morning that said that the, uh, you know, they're having fraud problems and he's currently declining a lot of RTPs. He said, my, my business partners are not happy with me right now <laughs> because, because we are being somewhat draconian because of the, the rash of fraud. I think that like, like that was always going to be the case. Like 
I mean, you even see like what Zell first started, you know, it was slow to adopt for regular consumers. And then, then it got, got more popular, especially during the pandemic and all that. But you, there was like that time where like the vast majority of the traffic that was going across Zell was fraudulent and scams. You know, it was like people losing their money. And I don't, I'm not saying anything bad about early warning or Zell or anything like that. It's just like, it's what happens when a new technology is released and we all are trying to figure out how we're going to settle into using it at the end of the day. And we don't know what our baseline is as far as like, like it, it, people love to say like X percentage of transactions that was going across Zell was bad, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean anything really negative at the end of the day if it's being stopped because that's their baseline, you know, for example, is like, as long as it's just like a website has, you know, 99% of the traffic is bots, but it's being blocked, you know, like that's this, the normal world. Like I think I saw somewhere like 76% of the internet now is bots. So the vast majority of traffic on your website is going to be a bot at the end of the day. And just to put that one fact without saying, okay, what's the rest of the whole story doesn't really necessarily paint the correct picture of what's really, really, really happening. So if, you, if this bank that you're talking to is saying like, well, there's a ton of fraud coming across attempts and they're blocking it, like that's great that they're blocking it, you know, but that might be when we settle into this, this RTP rails full-time, like, like faster payments, we don't know that like X percentage of our traffic is going to be bad traffic just forever. You know, like there's this, there's always going to be attempts. What are the, what's that level of attempts? Does that make sense? It, it does. And, and actually the, the vast majority of the traffic going across the has, has never been fraud. It's, I mean, a lot of the fraud makes the headlines. And granted, we, we did some studies when, when Zell first launched and, and the bad guys were laying in wait. At, at that point, you know, they hadn't really moved the scams attack vector over here. So a lot of it was, was ATO. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the success of that was just the fact that, um, you know, they, they, they were taking tried and true tactics from back when Apple Pay was first launched and, and taking those Ooh. tried and true tactics and applying it to Zell. And I got hit hard um, on Apple Pay fraud when that first started at a, at a, one of my old jobs. Really oh, <laughs> that was that, that launch was brutal. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, we're the, the good thing about the UK having been on the, the, the scams front lines for so much longer than, than other countries is we've been able to take some of the tried and true tactics that they've used and apply them here. And, you know, it's, uh, it's things like sometimes you got to slow down faster payments. And, yeah. you know, so there's, there's, a, there's quite a few banks here now that, you know, if you're sending above X dollar amount to a net new payee, we're going to slow it down for you. We're going to like put in a four hour cooling period. We might send you a text and just say, are you sure? And, you know, just some of those, you know, just yeah. non-technology based, but just human nature based things are, are actually, they're, they're somewhat effective. Yeah. And I've seen like, even because I do use Zelle uh, and I see the change that they've done over the years of like displaying the information, like on the phone numbers of who, who the recipient is um, just putting more hurdles in place that that and more are you sure's i think is is the right way to go you know because especially people that don't work in this world like the people that are probably listening to this podcast will will be aware of all of these things that are happening there's plenty of information out there but there's a lot of people that aren't you know there's a lot of people that get these requests get these phone numbers or send to mistype a phone number while they're trying to send a zelle payment and 
it just goes into the ether. I had one of my friends just recently texted me about it. She's like, I sent money to the wrong person. What do I do? And I was like, did you click okay? Did you did you see the name and you agreed to it? She's like, I did. And I was like, that one is going to have to be one that's kind of on you. I did my best to try and find somebody over there, but I don't have anybody in any warning anymore. And uh, it's just like, it's, it's one of those where if you go through it, like it's kind of on you. And that's actually leading me to the next part is... I will say, I mean, this, this is not limited. You know, I, I've been in fraud almost my entire career. And my dad did that to me via Venmo. He's like, did you get the money? I'm like, oh, <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it happens all over the place. Yeah. And I do like, you know, like, I, I think some of the stuff where like it, you could see QR codes and things like that. So you, you're physically with the person, but as we all know, during the pandemic, QR codes can be, can be manipulated and money can go different places there. But I mean, there's there's options and there and there's there's work and I love that the work is ongoing to try and save people from themselves, as I always say, save people from themselves. I remember I used to cut people off um, when I was at the movie ticket company way years ago, and like on and a certain number of tries in a certain number of times, like or over a certain amount of time. And I was like, look, at some point, just like you said, at some point we got to tell them just to sit down, cool off, think about what you got to do here, and then come back with like a little level head. And then we'll get you what you got to do and get you going on. And if you really can't then, then we might just need to send you to the box office, you know, but at the <laughs> same time, we got to send it to the bank, but let's talk about liability. So I think that that's always been a super hot question. Um, and I think it's, it, there's been a decision if I'm not mistaken in how liability is shared in our, in RTP payments or in faster payments. Is that, am I in the right ballpark here? There has been nothing okay. announced yet. There, there was some, guidance that came from Zelle quite a few months ago now. Um, to my knowledge, not official yet. The, the guidance was still pretty opaque. As, as I talked to banks, yeah. they, they still think it's kind of opaque, but there was a general consensus that there will be some sort of uh, shared liability at some point. Yeah, that's okay. At some point. Because that's what um, I, I've been hearing was one of the things that was going to be, because people were getting... The wrong people were getting too involved. <laughs> so there was going to have to be something that happened, which, which I think is is interesting. Like I, I always like 3D Secure. I was always a big fan of like putting some sort of onus on authentication back to the issuing bank. But in, in these types of like push payments um, and push pull payments, I think it's different where the issuer is kind of just agreeing with what the, the initiator like is asking them to do right at the end of the day. <laughs> well, it, and it's this. This is such a hard attack vector to stop because, you know, for for more than a decade now, we have controlled our control. We've designed our control frameworks around detecting unauthorized activity, and now you know the this, this massive attack vector is convincing people to send authorized payments, and, and determining yeah. that intent is really hard. But conversely. On the receiving bank side, the one that's receiving this money, it's going into a mule account. Yeah. And you've got a lot better chance to deploy analytics techniques to figure out that this is a mule account. Yeah. <laughs> There's something wrong here. So that's where the shared liability comes in is, is creating business cases for people to invest more heavily in mule detection. You know, we're, we're taking a page again out of the UK book. There is regulation currently going through and you know everybody that i'm talking to says we'll probably see it 
go into effect first quarter of 2024 that will put 50-50 liability for APP fraud on the issuing and receiving banks. And and do you think that when that happens, that like you said earlier, there will be a slowdown of faster payments from those two sides at that? Like, And I'm not saying like slowdown of a day or two, but like some more of like how we think of manual review in our fraud world where there's going to be additional checks that might, it's not going to be there in, in a second. It's going to be there in 15 seconds, 10 minutes, you know, that sort of thing. Do you see anything like that happening? I, I think we'll see something that's more of a, you know, kind of a, a refined approach versus a, a blunt tool. And I think we'll see that, you know, your, your folks that, that, that are going to win in this from a customer experience perspective are going to be those that deploy analytics that can figure out that, you know, Jordan sends his brother, you know, money every three weeks. And it's, it's, you know, always within this amount, or he sent his brother money 20 times over the past three years. And so sending money to his brother, that's no biggie. We're not going to put friction in there. But if it's a net new payee and it's more than 200 bucks, then we're going to slow it down. We're going to put it. in friction. Um, that's those... I, did, I did another episode where I talked about like how Zelle always annoys me when I send money to the same person. It's always asking me the same question. And I'm like, I've sent money like a hundred times to the same exact person. Like it doesn't need to ask me anymore, but you know, I understand where they're coming from when they do it, you know, and I only got to type in like their phone number. I think it's not that big of a deal, you know, but um, I, do you, do you think that the, the faster payment providers themselves will offer more robust fraud tools themselves, or will they always keep the, the ability to choose on the issuer and the receiver side? Yeah. Given, given my background, I am a huge fan of collaborative solutions. And I do think that there is opportunity in all of these payment rails to take a more collaborative approach, especially to the mule detection. Because yeah. that's something at the network layer, you've, you've got visibility into this. A hundred percent. So I, I always, um, you know, it's funny because when I was at um, the ticketing company, the other ticketing company, the big one, um, we would look at catch-all accounts. We would like it wasn't so much like who's getting into these accounts; it's where are they, where are the tickets going when they're sent out of the account. And then you'd find one account that had like six thousand tickets on it, you know, and then you know that's that's your mule account right there, you know, like it's your catch-all accounts. So you need to look at like where, not just the outgoing, but where who is receiving it, and is it all the same? And that way you can kind of funnel down like. If this account is receiving payments from 6,000 different people today, like they better be a business or they better have a hell of an Etsy store at the end of the day, you know, like something's <laughs> going on with these accounts. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of like, I, I'm happy to hear that you're saying that they're, that they're, they're aware of these mule accounts and doing things to do that. Yeah. It, it, and historically it, it had been tough for a lot of financial institutions to make business cases for robust technology for mule detection. Um, because it's not your FI that's losing the money. It's the one upstream. You're just catching it. Um, but, you know, we, we started seeing a number of FI stand up mule detection operations during the pandemic when we saw so much stimulus fraud. And, yeah. you know, there was, there was, I think, trepidation that you know, if the government ever wanted to you know, call somebody to account for the hundreds of billions of dollars that were stolen via stimulus, not to, 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 you know, the government won't admit that it's because they had entitlement gaps that you could drive a truck through and the fraudsters, you know, made full use of it. But, you know, th there was an argument to be made that we had all these mule accounts get stood up in the system. 
And if you have all these meal accounts on your books, how well do you truly know your customer? So a lot of banks did stand up operations to have more active mule detection at that time. And then, you know, the, the scampocalypse has ridden the rails of, you know, the, the stimulus and you, is now lighting up all these mule networks to exit scam funds. So it's, it's I think it's, you know, it's a, a little bit of an encouragement that we are now seeing in many cases, not enough, more active detection and, and shutdown of mule accounts. So do you think like, like, let's say like just, just to get more practical applications as we, as we begin to close here, um, like, let's say like right now, like if I pay like my chase card or my American express, for example, like those cards, like granted the money comes out of my bank account the next day, but is there ever a world where I like go in, I pay my American express and the money's gone from my account in a second, like just instantly gone from my account. And then my balances is reflected on my American express. My balance is reflected in my, in my bank. No more of this like floating, like we used to do in checks in the nineties. I'm old enough to have written checks in the nineties, almost, <laughs> you know, things like that. Or um, even like, I'm trying to think of more practical applications, like for, for businesses, if I need to pay a distributor right then and there, like I have a bar and I need to pay the liquor, like I could pay him right then and there. It's right out of my business account, right into his account. And we don't, no more checks, no more craziness, just all digital all the time. Or if I wanted to pay that same bar, I could pay my tab. The money's gone from my account instantly. No pending, no nothing. Are, is there, are these, are these where we're going with these sorts of things? This, this is, that's all part of the promise of faster payments. That's why you know, we have so many countries that are going down this path is to create that kind of utility for businesses and consumers. Um, also to bring down the cost of payments. Yeah. So that is you know, a stated goal of a lot of these governmental initiatives is to get it to, I think the average PIX transaction is, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at like 10, 20 cents per transaction. Um, and so bringing down the cost of payments is another key thing and another key benefit theoretically to all of society, although those savings don't always get passed along to the consumer. Yeah. I've been still waiting to get trickled down on every day, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, like, but being on the merchant side, you know, we just did a huge RFP with our, with our payment processors and so many things came into it. Cost of pages, you know, inter-regional fees, FX, cross-border fees, all of these different things, you know, if we could find a way to simplify the process, instead of having to route through certain banks, change currencies and come back across and settle in this currency, if we could find a way to, to route these things a lot quicker, I think at the end of the day, we all would benefit both on the merchant side and the consumer side and on the banking side, you know, the banks don't want to have to deal with me. 15 different, you know, partnerships, right? They want to have their rails, just money in, money out. Here's the liability, call it a day, right? Yeah, we're, we're unfortunately still a ways away from that interoperability. It's part of the vision for a lot of these, but, you know, there's there's still a lot of silos of payment rails. Um, I would say one, you know, the UPI out of India, you know, they, they've been wildly successful with those rails. And they have over 300 association discussions in process with either other countries just to expand the UPI mm -hmm. and we'll run your faster payments for you or, you know, creating some of that interoperability. So that, that would be the vision of having this kind of global network of interoperability, but we're, we're still a ways away from that. Unfortunately. I mean, I was super fascinated when you said like the, the India thing, because that historically was like an underbanked population, you know, and the fact that like now they have this like, like amazing technology, it's pretty cool. And I think like, you know, as, as the world moves more into like these super app situations, especially like they have in the APAC region, like having things like a faster payment to move between things inside those apps, 
and then buy things, you know, using those apps could be really, really, really beneficial to the world. Like I really hate paying cash for anything anymore. And if I had options to like, if some way somehow to tip like a, a, a valet or something just with a tap of my phone real quick here and he instantly has that money so he can go get a cocktail later hopefully not when he's driving my ferrari but hopefully uh, <laughs> later in the evening but that would be just such a cool world to be in we we're getting there i was actually at a restaurant i don't remember where it was i've been so many cities lately but there was a server that she had a qr code that if you wanted to tip her using a qr code that was how you did it which I that, thought that was, that was so cool. That is where the world needs to go. Like, I feel so bad. Like I was just coming back last week from Nashville and I had, I had to plan ahead because like I had to tip like the guy that puts my bag on the, on the, the bus and takes it off the bus, you know, at the, at the airport, I had to tip the guy that brings my car around at the parking garage and all of that. And I had to plan all that. I would love if I just could do it. Cause I just don't, I just hate carrying cash. I hate so much. And even like the musicians and stuff in Nashville have caught on to the QR code thing. They put it on the corner of their screens. They put it on their buckets. There's a local musician here named Trevor Daniel. That's great. That like I literally came home and printed out his QR code for him so he could stick it on his bucket. So all these guys are on digital payments, you know, like let's get the rest of the little little folks on there that they can get theirs too, you know. Exactly. You just got to watch out for the fraudulent QR codes. <laughs> well, yeah sticking it over things that's why i got it i see trevor still rocking the same paper that i printed out for him he's gotta he's gotta fix that you know i tried to, <laughs> he's gotta frame it but all right so wrapping up we just got like two or three minutes here max um i i always ask everybody the three things so let's talk about what do you think the future three things are like the next big things for fast payments like what are the next things that are coming that we're all going to be able to see how are we going to see it that sort of thing so liability shift we we will see it this year i you know I was not at faster pay at Nacha payments a few weeks ago, but I've talked to a number of people that were there that said the, the CFPB essentially said front stage, we're going to see a liability shift in the next year here. So that's, that's coming. Huge. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. So that's, that's the big one. Number one, um, you know, while nobody loves seeing, you know, regulations causing you to make massive changes in a short period of time, I have talked to, to, some of my bank clients since then that have said, you know, this essentially will give me the business case for all of the mule detection technology I have been begging for for the last two years. So I, I think that is a, a great silver lining and opportunity. And then you know, the last thing we, we need to see in this space is, is greater collaboration. And, you know, it's the, the best way to detect mule networks, the best way to detect Scam-based act activity is through greater data sharing, greater collaboration. You know, we still have privacy regulations, lawyers in the way, but but we need to figure out how to get past that sooner because that's 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 slowing yeah. us down. Most of the collaboration is done in the uh, happy hour cocktail party, you know, at, at these conferences. The unofficial collaboration happening there, or well, or the super unofficial collaboration that happens on the dark web among the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, that, that, they're, they're better at coordinating. They got less legal legal red tape there. They're better at coordinating. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on here. I know it was kind of shortish notice um, where I asked you to do this, just passing at the conference. Um, thank you for taking the time to do it. Your time is extremely valuable. Um, it, it meant a lot to me that you're doing this. I hope that my audience um, learned about faster payments because I don't know if everybody even really knows that faster payments is coming. So I hope folks learned a thing or two. And I encourage anybody in my audience to go... Add you on LinkedIn and just watch your posts, 
if you see you at a conference, attend your sessions and learn more about what's happening in this space because it's a fascinating space and it is the future of what you're doing with gaming. So, yeah. It was a pleasure, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I want to thank Darwinium again for being our next sponsor. Their next generation fraud prevention platform unifies security with fraud prevention to create complete visibility of customer journeys across every digital touch point. This unique integration running at the perimeter edge via CDN preserves privacy while maintaining low latency and giving a holistic view of customer behavior from all touch points, including pre-authorization, account creation, login, change of details like email and address and payments. This means businesses are better equipped to separate that human traffic from that automated traffic that we're always chasing, while still protecting consumers from account takeover, identity theft scams, social engineering scams, and also blocking content and promo code abuse on our sites. Of course, they also detect fraudulent payments. Please visit www.darwinium.com to learn more today. Like I said at the beginning, I will provide those direct links in there. It's pretty cool what they're doing, so I really encourage everybody to go take a look. Again, that's Darwinium. They're great people. Everybody have a nice day. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.